0: in the howling wind and the lightning's flash the drumming rain and the thunders crash the fires burn low and the lamps are out it's time for kate to move about above red river on the bluff's high path
1: when the thunder's quiet you can hear her laugh with now and a loud long shout kate wants all to know she's still about
0: no sleep for children as they shiver in fear and listen for the sounds they hope they won't hear no whispering or talking as they lie in doubt for at times like this Kate walks about a segment of Kate
1: still about by HC Brem in his book Echoes of the Bell Witch in the 20th century And welcome to Two Creepy Bees, a podcast where two sisters obsess the macabre, talk spirits, urban legends, aliens, and the occult. Essentially, anything that tingles your spines and bumps your gooses. I'm Bethany.
0: And I'm Bailey.
1: And we're your two creepy co-hosts. Alright, howdy guys and welcome back. This Hello. Yeah, hello. This is part two of two of our segment on The Bell Witch. In last week's episode, we started talking about the beginning of the Bell Witch Legend. And we kind of left you guys with a bit of a cliffhanger in regards to how the legend ends. But just to catch everyone up to speed again, it's been two weeks, so we felt like we should do a little recap. Um, So just a reminder, the Bell family lived in Red River, Tennessee, began experiencing strange paranormal phenomena in the year 1817, After John Bell Sr. saw what looked like a large black dog while he was patrolling his fields, the family shortly began hearing scratching and what sounded like gnawing on their bedposts. The children were pinched and slapped by the entity. And things escalated very quickly and soon the Bells were able to speak with the entity, who now referred to herself as Kate. So, news of Kate's ability and the phenomena occurring at the Bell residence spread like only gossip through a small-town can, and many visitors began showing up to the Bell property to witness the spectacle for themselves. Kate particularly disliked the Bell's young daughter, Elizabeth, who went by Betsy, and tormented her more than the other children. And, for unknown reasons, Kate did everything in her power to stop the relationship between Betsy and her childhood sweetheart, Joshua Gardner, from growing even though Kate was cruel to Betsy, it should be noted she had an ever-growing hatred of John Bell Sr. and promised that one day, she would kill him. Ooh. goose oh, goosebumps. Spooky. <laughs> so spooky. <laughs> How's it going, Bailey? It's going pretty good. How are you? Good. Good, good, good. Um, so this episode will actually air a few days after Thanksgiving. It's still the same same general vicinity. Do you have any fun plans for Thanksgiving?
0: Um, it's just going to be a small thing. It's just me and Tom mm-hmm. since we, you know, just moved to Ohio.
1: That actually sounds really nice. You know, it sounds like a nice, chill evening. You and all your animals just eating all the good food.
0: Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. Do you have any plans?
1: Yeah, me and Tyler are having a couple of friends over. Um, we're going to do like a small Friendsgiving, which should be really fun. I'm going to try to make focaccia bread, which I feel really fancy saying focaccia. Very excited. But yeah, definitely couldn't afford to fly home all the way to PA for Thanksgiving, but I'm still excited. Still should eat some good food. And then me and Tyler are going camping the next day up in the White Mountains here in Arizona. That sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah. Not to kind of like triangulate (laughs) me and Tyler's location of where we'll be at all times, but (laughs)
0: Well now you guys know Well I guess It depends on what day you're going This is gonna be after the fact anyway
1: Ooh it's true That's good They said you didn't give everything away
0: So you may or may not Know where Bethany's going It's true (laughs) Like everyone cares so much Wait no that doesn't make (laughs) sense They know where you're going Because you said it Just pretend that didn't happen
1: Cut that Tyler But yeah I'm really excited to go camping Um so, Bailey, are you ready to hear the spooktacular end of the Bell story? Oh, I'm ready. Got your drink in hand?
0: I already finished it.
1: Well, good, because it's an <laughs> effing doozy. Let me take a quick sip of my, my burr here. Mm-hmm. All right. Got to wet my whistle. Anyway, <clears throat> so, picking back up in 1820, three years after the haunting allegedly began, Kate's continual torment had created quite a bit of misery for the Bell family. This was particularly so for John Sr. and Betsy. John Sr.'s odd afflictions and illnesses became more frequent and severe, apparently so severe that he became bedridden and unable to care for himself. And on the morning of December 19th, 1820, he was found unresponsive in his bed, and he was unable to be roused. His son, John Jr., then searched their medicine cabinet for his father's prescription. However, the bottle is missing, and in its place was a strange bottle of dark liquid. The family then called upon the doctor in the nearby town of Port Royal, but Kate essentially told them that their attempts were all in vain. Kate said, quote, he would never rise from that bed again. So the family asked Kate about the mysterious liquid in the cabinet and she told them that she had given old Jack a big dose of it last night while he was asleep and that it fixed him. The Bells then apparently took some of the liquid and gave it to one of their cats on the property. This poor cat began convulsing immediately and shortly thereafter died. John Sr. died the very next day. when he was buried at the family cemetery, Kate sang merrily. Some accounts say she sang as if she was drunk. So after John's death, Kate seemed to visit the bells less and less, and Betsy began to get comfortable and began to believe that she could marry her sweetheart Joshua after all. So they became engaged, uh, but soon Kate would intervene. One afternoon in 1821, Betsy and Joshua, along with some friends, were fishing along the banks of the Red River when an unnaturally huge fish, apparently two to three feet in length, snatched Joshua's line and swam away with his pole. And then Kate's pleading voice could be heard saying, please don't have Joshua Gardner. So after that, Betsy and Joshua pretty much knew that the witch would never let them be. And so they ended their engagement. Not... Too long after their engagement ended, Joshua moved away. And Betsy would apparently never see him again. So Betsy eventually married Richard Powell. He, Richard Powell was a man, several years her senior, and at one point was actually her school teacher. Richard Powell had made it a point when Betsy was younger to express interest in marrying her once she was older. Uh, I don't know how much older he was, but still. It was 12 years.
0: I think oh. 11 or 12 years.
1: Oh, damn. Yeah, that's a little that's a little questionable, but I guess things were different in this time. Yeah, and they, uh, they so, were. <laughs> yeah. Oh, they they were way different. Um, <laughs> so it is believed that Kate actually approved of this marriage because they never heard from the witch again, and Betsy Bell died in 1890. But to rewind it back a bit, uh, since the end of Betsy and Joshua's relationship – Kate's visits decreased even more sharply. So later in the year of 1821, Kate announced that she was departing. She was going to leave the family completely, but would return again in seven years. And in February of 1828, the familiar occurrences of scratching, gnawing on bedposts, and sheets being pulled from the bed started up again. And then when Lucy Bell died later that same year, in 1828, the witch said farewell after just three weeks, and promised to visit John Bell's most direct descendants in 107 years. So after Lucy's death, the farm was divvied up amongst the children, but for pretty obvious reasons, no one wanted to live in the old farmhouse, and it was eventually torn down. You know, it seemed Kate got exactly what she wanted. Betsy and Joshua separated, and John Bell dead. Though most of the horrors of the Bell Witch end there, There were apparently some incidents that occurred. Joel Bell and his son, Alan, had a minor run-in with Kate in 1861 and then had two other uh, run-ins with her in 1872. Even one of John and Lucy Bell's more modern descendants had a few inexplicable experiences throughout his life. One relic of the Bell Witch is still located on the Bell Old Bell property today, and this is the Bell Witch Cave. This cave was once a storage place of John Bell Sr. and is the alleged site of much of the more modern phenomena to occur associated with the Bell Witch. So people have reported seeing the figure of a dark-haired woman lurking about the cave, which is a horrifying image, and others have heard the sounds of chains dragging or even footsteps throughout the cave. And this tale of the Bell Witch and the Bell family has become an infamous legend in Tennessee and amongst many other states in the South and, you know, lots of other places in America. But around Edom, Tennessee, it is more than just that. The Bell Witch is really a part of everyday life. And apparently when something peculiar happens to this day, you know, or a bit of bad luck occurs, Residents will likely still blame it on old Kate. Old Kate. Oh, old Kate.
0: <laughs> you want to know what
1: I'm thankful for? What? Not being cursed by the bell witch. Oh, <laughs> oh
0: good yeah. one. Thanks, good thanks.
1: One. I'm full of them.
0: <laughs> All right. So... We gave you guys a boiled down summary of the Bell Witch legend. There are a lot of other details that we just didn't have the time to put in. But, as we talked about in the first episode, there are some very lengthy sources that are the basis for the modern day legend. So, the earliest published story of the Bell Witch was found in 2017 by historian Pat Fitzhugh. On February 7, 1856, the Green Mountain Freeman, a a newspaper based in Montpelier, Vermont, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, (laughs) reprinted the article, The Tennessee Ghost. It was featured on the paper's front page in the Varieties section, which contained article reprints from newspapers around the country. The original article was written by the Saturday Evening Post in or before 1856. This article claims that Betsy was a ventriloquist and was behind the haunting. Mm. So it's kind of a long article, so I'm not going to read it, but we (laughs) will have a link to the article on our website. Hooray. Um, Another early story of the Bell Witch was in 1886 in the first edition of Godspeed's History of Tennessee. It comes from the chapter on Robertson County. It's a brief mention, but generally sticks to the outline of the legend Um, it goes a remarkable occurrence which attracted widespread interest was connected with a family of john bell who settled near what is now adam station about 1804 so great was the excitement that people came from hundreds of miles around to witness the manifestations of what was popularly known as the bell witch The switch was supposed to be some spiritual being having the voice and attributes of a woman, yet was invisible to the eye, yet it would hold conversation and even shake hands with certain individuals. The freaks it performed were so wonderful and seemingly designed to annoy the family. It would take sugar from bowls, spill the milk, take quilts from beds, slap and pinch the children, and then laugh at the discomfort of its victims. At first, it was supposed to be a good spirit but its subsequent acts, together with the curses in which it supplemented its remarks, prove the contrary. Mm. So the two earliest full-written accounts of the Bell Witch are MV Imgram's An Authenticated History of the Famous Bell Witch and Charles Bailey Bell's The Bell Witch, A Mysterious Spirit. The former is referred to as the Red Book and the latter the Black Book. We're only going to discuss these two books because of the content of their books is considered the basis for the modern-day story. But fair warning to anyone who's interested in reading either of these books, there is strong racist language throughout. Yeah. So we're going to start with The Authenticated History of the Famous Bell Witch, written by M.V. Ingram, who was the owner of a regional paper. This was the first book published about the Bell Witch and it was published 75 years after The Haunting in 1894. Martin Ingram's book is based upon the handwritten diary and or manuscript of Richard Bell called Our Family Trouble. Richard Bell's manuscript is the only eyewitness written account. Richard Bell was one of John Bell Senior's sons, and he was about six years old when the hauntings began. So according to Ingram, Richard waited until... 1846, more than 30 years after the haunting, before he wrote down the events in his diary. Hmm. Richard gave the diary to his son, State Representative Alan Bell, who subsequently gave it to Ingram and was instructed to keep it to himself until after the deaths of the immediate Bell family. Hmm. So anyone who had been alive during the haunting. Uh, That happened around 1880 when Ingram began writing his book. So his book is considered hard to read because of the style of writing. The style is Victorian prose, so it can be quite lengthy and considered unorganized, not to mention the sprinkles of racism. Mm. So if you were to cross-reference Ingram's accounts with historical data, you're going to find some inaccuracies. Because of this, many people believe Ingram fabricated the entire story. Because there are at least two publications of the story, um, you know, the one in 1886 from Godspeed's History of Tennessee, and in 1856, um, the Green Mountain Freeman that we talked about before, both of those were published before Ingram's book was, so We're inclined to believe that he didn't make up the entire legend, um, although it is certainly possible that he embellished details. Oh, for sure. So the second book, again, is written by Charles Bailey Bell, titled The Bell Witch, A Mysterious Spirit. That was published in 1934. So Dr. Charles Bailey Bell was the great-grandson of John Bell Sr. Charles Bell was a physician living in Nashville He published his family story in 1934. Charles Bell's book is said to be a rehashing of Ingram's book, but is considered easier to read. Apparently, he got the story across with fewer words, and also, warning, strong racist language. There are a few differences with Charles Bell's and Ingram's stories. Charles Bell seems to have exaggerated John Bell Sr.'s reputation and his character. Oh my god, Percy. (laughs)
1: <laughs> he's like, yeah, he did.
0: Yeah, he's our cheerleader. He's cheering us on. So, uh, essentially, Charles Bell really inflated John Bell Sr.'s reputation. So this possibly could be due to the fact that John Bell Sr. was excommunicated from the Red River Baptist Church. Um, most likely for the crime of, quote, violating the law of usury, which is unethical or immoral loans that unfairly enrich the lender, for example, you know, excessive or abusive interest rates. And just like Ingram's book, it too had some historical errors. So there are some alternative theories to the Bell Witch story, you know, other than it was the spirit of Kate. Mm. The first theory I'm going to talk about is the child abuse theory. So there is some variation of the legend that tells the witch being summoned because John Bell Sr. was abusing Betsy. Yeah. There's supposedly one of the Bell slaves killed John Bell Sr. because he was abusing her, and the story of the witch was told in order to cover it up. The other theory was that it was Betsy that killed John. Supposedly one night, the witch possessed Betsy. In the middle of the night, Kate led Betsy to the riverbed. When she got there, she pressed nightshade into a bottle and returned home. Once home, she made her way up to her father's room and poured poison into its mouth while he was asleep. Doing this all while still supposedly possessed. In Ariel Gratch's paper, Haunting Stories of Abuse, Revealing Ghosts Through Critical Performance, Ethnography, the author prefaces her paper by explaining how, in Betsy's case, the spirit needed to be summoned in order to tell her story. The author goes on to make clear that stories of intimate abuse are very difficult to understand, especially due to the nature of the relationship between the abuser and the abused. She went on to explain that the term witch, ghost, or any variation of that can be used as a quote trope of haunting, as a trace of the past, and as a tool for explaining and making sense out of the incommunicable and the nonsensical. Another alternative theory is obviously, you know, the polar opposite of a haunting, which is that it's a hoax. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> the idea behind this theory is that it was all a hoax, and Envy Ingram faked it all. So some facts in favor of that theory are that Richard Bell recorded his thirty year old memories of being a six year old child. I can't remember shit from being six years old. Yeah, I mean the, <laughs> if he remembered, you know, a really traumatic experience, I mean that, yeah. I've never gone through something like the Bell Witch Haunting. It's, yeah, it's true. I mean, I guess that if something like that actually did
1: happen, how could you forget?
0: But... Right, but at the same time, it it makes it kind of unlikely Mhm. Mm-hmm. that he would remember everything exactly the way it happened. Yeah, least. yeah. Uh, The second thing is that, conveniently, everyone with first-hand knowledge of the Bell Witch hauntings was already dead when Ingram started his book. (laughs) Um, Also, everyone with second-hand knowledge was dead. Yeah, like how... So he could (laughs) write anything he wanted.
1: Because there would be no one there to tell him, like, to call him on his bullcrap, you know what I mean? exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Um, Mm -hmm.
0: and then obviously, as we heard earlier in one of the articles, um, there was a theory that Betsy was faking it all. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, that can be referenced in the Saturday Evening Post article claiming she was a ventriloquist. But if that's the case, that's incredibly
1: impressive because what, she was like 11, 12 at the time and to, to fool, I mean, if it's true that, crowds of people appeared at the bell house if that wasn't an exaggerated fact i mean that means she would have been a very impressive ventriloquist for her age so i mean i i guess anything's possible it's just hard because we don't know if the crowds and crowds of people if that was true
0: but you know it's also said that the bell family welcomed all of these visitors in um and gave them you know a place to sleep and food to eat And that, apparently, you know, the Bell family was getting out of, or, you know, what is it, getting eaten out of house and home?
1: Yeah, uh uh-huh. Yeah, I guess that's true. They weren't, yeah, getting eaten out of house and home. Like, yeah, I mean, was there any documentation that you found of them, like, taking donations or charging a fee? I I mean, not that I found, but... Yeah, I mean, if so, if they weren't doing that, then they were using their precious resources to feed, and you know, shelter crowds of visitors. So I don't know. I don't. I don't know if I quite if the ventriloquist theory is like my favorite, but it's still an interesting. It's it's interesting theory.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I guess so.
1: So those are all some awesome alternative theories and just great perspectives to to keep in the back of your mind while reading the story of the bell witch because it is a fantastical story but you know we like to drop some facts on you too um i think that's always important to have different perspectives but it's also important to know that this legend of the bell witch lives on in in this area in tennessee so you know, the Bell Witch legend is embedded within the culture of lore in the Red River area. The, the story of the Bell Witch is taught in schools to children. And, and every year in Adams, Tennessee, they hold a Bell Witch Fall Festival. Uh, apparently, they even put on a play called Spirit, in which they act out the drama of M.V. Ingram's inauthenticated history of the famous Bell Witch. A few Bell family dependents have actually starred in the play, so fun fact. And, you know, kind of hearkening back to our very first episode, the Red River area has their own version of Bloody Mary. And if you stand in front of a mirror in a dimly lit room, spin around many times and chant, I hate the Bell Witch, the Bell Witch is said to appear and scratch your eyes out. So, sound familiar? And as mentioned earlier, the Bell Witch is usually a scapegoat for residents when things go wrong. You know, i.e. the microwave is on the fritz. Must be the Bell Witch. Um... So, before, you know, we go criticizing this story, it is deeply embedded within the culture of this area, and a lot of the descendants live in this area, too, so that's important to note. Okay, Okay. (laughs) so, Bailey, what is your opinion on what Kate is? You know, do you think she's a demon? Do you think that maybe the children were just making this up? What's your opinion? What's your takeaway?
0: Honestly... When I was, you know, researching the Vell Witch story, it did kind of sound demonic. Oh, yeah. Classic, like, classic signs. Well, to me. So, honestly, when I was researching this legend, my thoughts first went to demonic Mm -hmm. entity. Mm -hmm. Just because, I mean... You know, it starts out by, you know, an otherworldly creature being seen, and then you start getting, you know, the the little wrappings mm-hmm. and the covers being pulled off, and then it kind of seems like, you know, the Entity f- fed on their fear and their interest mm-hmm. in whatever it was. I mean, it they actively engaged with, you know, the Entity.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: They, they egged it on, but... I don't know. It's you know, would a demon give walnuts and grapes to you know a mom? Yeah. Probably it, not. Perhaps not. Yeah.
1: See, my my whole issue is I'm gonna play the skeptic here, and mm-hmm. that's not a role I play often. Um, but for me, it's just all too convenient that the most uh, the most detailed accounts of this the story were all were all written after everyone that had a first-hand account was dead. That's just all too convenient. I think, you know, for me, again, sorry to play the skeptic, I am a huge believer in the paranormal, but to me this just sounds like perhaps like this small story of maybe children just playing almost a prank on their family Mm -hmm. uh, got blown out of proportion, proportion and then... And then that story got exaggerated even further.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, you know, I
0: just don't think we're ever gonna know. No well, we're certainly yeah. never gonna know. But I, I mean I definitely agree with you where it to me, my my gut tells me is maybe it was something small, maybe they mm-hmm. did experience paranormal activity. Yeah. Maybe mm-hmm. something, you know, unexplainable was happening at the bell farm. Mm-hmm. But There's just no, you know, I mean, there is a firsthand account. Yes. But he was significantly older when he decided to, you know, write his, 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 uh... His
1: recollection. Like, he, yeah. And also, it's like he was, he's already going to be biased because he was a, a firsthand member of that family. And he wouldn't want to slander his family's name. It's just one of those things that just makes legend so fascinating is because we will never know the truth. Yeah. Regardless, you know, there were some fantastical things that happened. I I wholeheartedly believe that it's possible that, you know, scratching or gnawing could have occurred, you know, maybe even some some of Kate talking, some of the things that, you know, speaking to the family. But some of the things were just were so, so crazy. And just because I, I, it's hard for me to imagine, doesn't mean they didn't happen. But again, this idea of like of walnuts and grapes being, you know, just pulled from thin air to me, it just seems to be pushing the boundaries. But I
0: don't know.
1: I, I think regardless, it is a great story.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think I like the story because regardless if all of those fantastical things happened, or you know, if it was something small, or if it was this little kind of prank that was put on by the kids and it got blown up, Mm -hmm. you know, either way the story got blown up, Um, this legend is a classic example of American Southern folklore, Um, the way it's just embedded into the culture of the area. Mm -hmm. So remember, before you doubt or disrespect this legend... There's a whole community of people who would tell you otherwise. And they would tell you that there's something unexplainable that resides in the Red River, Tennessee area. And something unexplainable that may have no quarrel with proving its existence by passing on misfortune. Cue thunder lightning.
1: all right so this wraps up part two of two of the bell witch i hope that you guys enjoyed this is such an amazing legend and i certainly had a lot of fun covering it and i hope that you did too bailey oh i did i did oh it was a riot and it's it's so awesome actually having a story that has you know a plethora of sources to pick through it's It makes makes our jobs
0: that much easier. Well, it was hard because there was so much information (laughs) and it was hard to decide which was relevant in, you know, what we just couldn't possibly fit in or go over. Mm
1: -hmm. Well, that's true. So we definitely
0: recommend going over, you know, if this legend interests you, there is, Mm -hmm. there's much more to go over. Yeah,
1: and you can come to your own conclusions and there's plenty of sources for you to check out out there. But yeah, thank you guys so much for tuning in. I hope that y'all have had a wonderful Thanksgiving and please- Or at least a
0: good couple days off. Yeah,
1: exactly. If you don't celebrate Thanksgiving, I hope you enjoyed a couple days off, as Bailey said.
0: We'll see you in two weeks.
1: See you in two weeks. Thanks so much for listening. You're the best, guys. So wonderful. You're beautiful. Yes, you are. Please, if you enjoyed this podcast and all things creepy, you can find us on SoundCloud, Podbean, Stitcher, and Apple Podcasts, where, if you want to support us, you can like, review, and subscribe to help get the word out about our show. And if we're not already on your favorite listening forum, let us know. And we'll do our best to make sure that you get access to all the creepy episodes you'd like. You can email us questions, comments, episode suggestions, or spooky personal anecdotes at 2creepybeespodcast at gmail.com. That's 2 creepybspodcast at gmail.com. We're also on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and Pinterest under 2creepybees. And finally, check out our website at www.2creepybees.com.
0: And remember, keep it creepy. Creepy.